Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for the third Sunday in Lent. Also the third day of March, March 3rd, 2024. As we look at the story of the crossing of the Red Sea from Exodus chapters 14 and 15, if you're looking for this in the CPH textbook 120 Bible stories, you'll find the story on page 56. Now, the Exodus is underway. Pharaoh has finally said to Moses, take the Israelites and get out of here. And if you remember, that's after not just one, but ten plagues. God has repeatedly declared to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron to let his people go. And Pharaoh has refused again and again. So God has has afflicted Egypt with several different plagues. Uh, The first nine are are designed by God to show the impotence, the, the helplessness of various Egyptian gods. And when Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he still refuses, the final plague is the death of the firstborn, the firstborn male of of, um, people and livestock among the Egyptians. But of course, that's also the story of the Passover, where the Lord called upon his people, the Israelites, to, to sacrifice a lamb, to paint the doorposts and lintel of their doors to their homes with the blood. And then to eat that lamb for their dinner and to burn what was left so nothing was left by morning. And so we have in in the Passover story, of course, this, this foreshadowing of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Christ who is sacrificed, whose blood is shed at Calvary for our salvation, Of course, Christ, whose sacrifice takes place during the Passover festival in Jerusalem. And the Passover is also a foreshadowing of Christ and his supper, the Holy Communion. Because as the Passover lamb was first sacrificed and then eaten, so Christ has been sacrificed for our sins And now he gives us his body to eat and his blood to drink in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. So by the following morning, it is apparent to the Egyptians that the firstborn male people and livestock have died in every Egyptian home. And so Pharaoh releases the people of Israel. Egypt wants them gone. And so they head towards... uh, the promised land, and in front of them lies the Red Sea. So we pick up this story now at Exodus chapter 14, verse 1, where we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, 
and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So the Israelites are on their way out of Egypt when God commands Moses to bring them to a separate place in front of the Red Sea. And here the Lord is boxing in the Israelites. This is where Pharaoh will pursue them. But although it looks as if God is trapping his own people, it is for their good because he is going to demonstrate to the Egyptians and to his own people, the Israelites, that it is he who delivers his people. So because the Israelites are trapped and there's no way out, there's no escape, when they are delivered, it'll be apparent that it's the Lord who's been doing the delivering. This is a theme we find in Scripture again and again. Uh, For instance, we have the story of David versus Goliath, where Goliath is such a monster of a giant and a mighty warrior that nobody is willing to take him on in battle. And then David, you know, the young spindly shepherd boy, is the one whom God calls upon to deliver all Israel by defeating the giant. It looks like David should lose and handily. Instead, by the grace of God, David triumphs. Another famous example from the Old Testament is is the story of Gideon and his brave 300, where the army of the Midianites invading are like, you know, they're like locusts. They're like this huge teeming mass beyond count. And the, the Lord has Gideon, the judge of Israel, whittle his army down to just 300 men who surround the Midianites at night and they blow trumpets and they break jars to reveal torches. And this leads the Midianites panicking and killing each other and running away. When it's 300 men plus their commander Gideon against this massive army of Midian, Gideon and his troops should not stand a chance. But again, the Lord kind of creates this ridiculous victory to prove to all who see that it is he who is fighting the battle, that it is he who wins the battle. You might think of the story of Samson, too. When Samson is a mighty man, he's a judge, but when he's captured and blinded, it is then when he's the blind slave in chains that God uses him to, to free the Israelites from the power of the Philistines. And this again is what is happening here in Exodus 14. God boxes in Israel between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army where they know they cannot save themselves so that he can show them that it is He who does the saving, not them. All right, so they encamp in front of the sea, and we read in verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, 
and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zaphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So you would hope that as the Israelites see the sea in front of them and the, the army of the Egyptians marching up behind them, you would hope they would say, God has brought us this far. We're sure he'll get us out of this too. But instead, of course, that's not the story. Instead, they accuse Moses and God of bringing them out to the wilderness to be slaughtered there rather than getting to live as slaves to the Egyptians. So Moses has kind of the lonely job as the prophet, as the leader there, to say to them, trust in God's promises, even though your eyes say it looks bad, you know that God has promised to deliver you, and he will today. And really, we see this again and again in our lives, too. Confronted especially with the specter of of disaster and of death, We're quick to think that perhaps God has forgotten us, or God can't save us, or the whole time God has been saying, I've given my son to save you from death, because on the last day I will raise you from the dead. The Israelites had the Red Sea. We have the grave. The Lord delivers from both. All right, picking up the story in verse 15 of Exodus 14, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So in response to the Israelites complaining and and panicking, the Lord tells Moses to tell the people to move closer to the sea and promises they will go through the sea on dry ground and then he, God, will triumph over the Egyptians. 
So you have the sea and the Israelites facing it near the edge, and you have the Egyptians thundering up behind them in the night, and then we have these marvelous two verses, Exodus 14, 19, and 20, where the angel of the Lord who is leading them in that pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, the angel of the Lord moves from in front of them over the sea and moves behind them and, uh, and sets down between the Israelites and the Egyptians. I'm reminded that I was hiking uh, in the hills outside of uh, Haley, Idaho, and I was a pastor up there, and I, uh, I came across a flock of sheep that was um, on its way up into the highlands. And as I got about 100 yards away, this, this big sheepdog appeared out of nowhere. And it sat down between the flock and me and just looked at me like, that's far enough, buddy. You can look and then you can turn around. And it's, it's kind of an odd comparison, perhaps, but, but this is... This is the cloud between the Israelites and the Egyptians. This is the angel of the Lord, which means this is the pre-incarnate Jesus who sets himself down between the Israelites and the Egyptians and by his presence says to the Egyptians, stay back this far and no further. So the Lord spends that night visibly in this cloud of glory, protecting his people from his enemies. Picking up the story in verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So here in these verses 21 through 25, we have the, uh, the parting of the Red Sea. Now, I remember seeing one time this, this kind of pseudo-documentary on TV about how this could have happened just naturally, that, for instance, there could be a sandbar running across the bottom of the Red Sea, and if a, a strong enough wind blew from one side, like from, say, the east, it could blow the water off the sandbar and expose it so the people could walk across without having to swim across. Now, I suppose, inventive, nice try... But scripture defeats this and keeps it as a divine miracle. In verse 22, we read that as the people pass through the Red Sea, the water is a wall on their left and on their right. So on both sides of their crossing, there's a wall of water. They are under sea level. If this were, in fact, the wind exposing the sandbar, naturally there would only be kind of a raised side of, um, of water on the downwind side of the crossing. 
Likewise, the people cross on dry ground, the Israelites do. When the Egyptians follow, their chariots start to bog down. Now, it's not like the ground got dry and then started to get wet again. You would think it'd be the opposite. Naturally, it'd be muddy, then it would dry out if it was exposed. But once again, this is the Lord letting his people cross on dry ground. And then he is the one who causes the, uh, the chariot wheels to clog. He's the one who bogs them down until the Egyptians say, got a bad feeling about this. Let us flee from before it is before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So this is this is kind of a, a humorous, maybe even a jab at the Israelites. While they seem to be sort of the panicked ones, it's the Egyptians saying, Nope, it's God fighting for them all, right? He's delivering them today, and that means he's gonna he's gonna defeat us. Hey, one more thing about uh about this parting of the Red Sea that, that's really interesting. The Lord does drive the sea back by a strong east wind all night and makes the sea dry land. That's what verse 21 says. But again, there are walls of water. So he, he uses this wind to carve a channel, a road, rather than just blowing a sandbar dry. And, and the reason this is interesting is because of that word wind. The word wind in Hebrew is ruach, and it's the same word for spirit, and sometimes also for breath. So, in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, as God creates the heavens and the earth, you have water there, for the, for the Lord draws the land out of the water, and the spirit, in Hebrew, the ruach, is hovering over the water. So there at the creation you have water and ruach. At the end of the flood, when the Lord dries up the earth so that Noah has a place to live with his family on on the ground, the Lord um, dries up the earth with wind, with a ruach. So at the end of the flood, you have water and ruach as God delivers a new home for Noah. And now here at the Red Sea, God delivers his people by having them pass through water. And so there's water there as well as, once again, a ruach, a strong wind. So at creation, there's there's water and ruach, and then God creates a home, Eden, for Adam and Eve. After the flood, where there's water and ruach, God has a new home for Noah and his family, dry ground. And now here at the Exodus, there's water and and a ruach, a strong wind, because God is leading his people to their new home, to the promised land. All right, back to the story, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, 
the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. So, massive chaos for the Egyptians. The Lord has Moses stretch out his hand, so he does this through his, uh, through his prophet that he's appointed to lead Israel. He has Moses stretch his hand over the sea, and the waters close in, and it says the Lord throws the Egyptians into the sea, um, and, uh, and so the Egyptian army is drowned. So if you, if you like, and this is kind of a, a superficial observation at first, but at the Red Sea, the bad guys are drowned, and the good guys survive. Bad guys, good guys. I bring that up because 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 and 2 say, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the sea and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All right, so St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says that the crossing of the Red Sea is a type of foreshadowing of holy baptism. There at the Red Sea, the bad guys, those rebelling against God, were drowned in the water, while the good guys, the followers of God, reluctant though they might be at times, the good guys were, were delivered through that water by, by God's might and power. And this points to holy baptism because in baptism, the old rebellious sinner of you is drowned and the new you, the child of God, is delivered out of that washing and you're still reluctant at times. Sin still clings to you, but as God delivered Israel, so he delivers you in holy baptism to be one of his people, to be his holy child. All right, Exodus 14 concludes with verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So the people of Israel did not have a great night, fearful the Egyptians would kill them. But God fulfilled his promises, and while he he boxed them in for a bit, he did so to show his power and his faithfulness to them. And so the following day, after they were delivered, after the Egyptians were drowned, then they believed in the Lord, and they believed in his servant Moses. It's not the only time, but you could say this is a milestone in them becoming his people. For now they are out of Egypt. They are certainly free from bondage. Their enemies are destroyed. And they're on their way to the promised land. Well, this story points to Jesus in a lot of different ways. We've talked about some of this already. Um, The crossing of the Red Sea is a type of deliverance from sin. Here the the Israelites are officially delivered from slavery as their captors are drowned. And although they must still endure the wilderness, the promised land is their destination. And in baptism, we are delivered from bondage to sin. 
God makes us his holy children by water and the word. And although we are in the wilderness for now, we must still endure the troubles of this world. Our destination is the promised land of heaven. So the story of the crossing of the Red Sea points to our life in Christ as we await the resurrection on the last day. Second, Moses again is a type of Christ as he serves as mediator between God and sinners. When the Lord returns in glory, he will judge um, as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And here he separates the Egyptians from the Israelites and delivers his people from their enemies. Third, the Israelites are guided and protected by the presence of God in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God is present with them, though veiled in that cloud, protecting his people from their enemies. This reminds us, points to, the truth, the joyous truth that Jesus is present with us in his means of grace. In his word and sacrament, Christ veils himself to protect us from our enemies of sin and death and devil. So it's interesting, in our two stories back to back here, we have the Passover, which typifies the Lord's Supper, and the crossing of the Red Sea, which typifies holy baptism. And as the Lord was present at the Passover and the Red Sea to save his people, so he's present in the Lord's Supper and in holy baptism to save us. We spoke before about um, water and ruach, water and wind, water and spirit being present at creation, at the end of the flood, and now the crossing of the Red Sea. And again, the Lord has made you a new creation by water and the word, so that you might be his people forever. We also have in this a, uh, a foreshadowing of the cross. And I mentioned this before that from time to time in scripture, the Lord continues this theme that, that the unbeatable enemy is defeated by the seemingly weak foe. So David and Goliath, Gideon and the Brave 300, blinded Samson and the Philistines. All of these stories, all of this, all of these with this theme point to the cross. Because by appearances on the cross, you have a dead man who's supposed to defeat death. And it appears that he, he loses. He does die. He's buried in a grave. Three days later, Christ, of course, lives again, risen from the dead. And on the last day, we will see the ultimate David and Goliath story finished when we see Christ enthroned and death itself is no more. When the people of Israel get to the other side of the Red Sea, they finally do something right. They sing. They sing a song of praise to the Lord. And uh, that's all of Exodus 15. I just want to read a couple of verses here to, to wrap up this podcast. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, 
for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. All right, those are the first two verses of Exodus 15, the song of Moses celebrating the victory over Pharaoh and Egypt. Now, King David writes a psalm that's a beautiful prophecy of Christ's triumph over death and the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Psalm 118, of course, has verses like, um, the building block which was rejected has become the cornerstone of our faith. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. I shall not die, but I shall live and proclaim the deeds of the Lord. And in Psalm 118, David also sprinkles in the language of the Song of Moses. So Exodus 15 verse 2 begins, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Psalm 118 verse 14 says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With Psalm 118, then, David makes clear to us that the crossing of the Red Sea foreshadows Jesus' death and resurrection. The deliverance from Egypt is a miraculous victory over Pharaoh and his mighty army. It's incredibly unlikely. It's only accomplished by God's hand, by God's power. Now, which is more impossible, this ragtag people of Israel escaping Egypt and Egypt's armies defeated, or the people of God defeating death and sin, death, and devil defeated? As great and astonishing as the crossing of the Red Sea is, it pales in comparison to the joy that is ours that Christ has, has gone through death and he has come out the other side and now he gives us that life in baptism and keeps us in his grace by his word and by his supper. So each year, as we celebrate his resurrection on Easter Sunday, parts of the, uh, the propers for the day aren't just uh, from, from the Psalms and Epistle and Gospel, but some of what we chant especially in the sunrise services from Exodus 15 to remind us that our enemies are defeated for Christ is risen from the dead. All right, that's a quick look at Exodus 14 and 15, the crossing of the Red Sea. God grant you every blessing as you meditate upon this text further. God grant you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.